the Podfix Network. Hello and welcome to episode 216 of the Filmmakers Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk filmmaking from indie film to studio films and everything in between. How to get them made, how to make them and how to try not to bugger them up. Bugger them up. In our very, very humble opinion. Uh, Today we are talking to fantastic director Jamie Patterson who has made 16 movies in 10 years. I'm Giles Alderson, I'm a writer, director and a producer and joining me today as my co-host is the brilliant Dom Lemoire. Hello buddy. Hi Giles, how's it going? Very good. Now Dom, if you don't know, has directed three feature films, uh, one of which, Winter Ridge, is out now. Go watch it, it's fabulous. It's on Amazon Prime. You have nothing to lose. And when you have watched it, give it a brilliant review. So Jamie Patterson, so those of you who don't know uh, his work, I'm sure you do. He's just fantastic. Some of the movies he's made, uh, in fact, uh, like Dom, he made a movie when he was 19, his first film, which was called Swimming in Circles. Then he went on and directed Confession, Billboard, Daisy, City of Dreamers, Blind Date, Home for Christmas, The Brighton Mob, Fractured, Further Ed, Caught, Tracks, and Tucked which is starring Jordan Stevens, April Pearson, Steve Aram and Darren Nesbitt. It is a fantastic movie. But the movie we're here to talk about, which is out now on Curzon Home Cinema and very soon BFI Player, is called Justine. On the Curzon Home Cinema, Go Seek It Out is an absolute delight. It's brilliant. Uh, Sian Reese Williams stars in it, as does Steve Aram again. Tallulah Haddon is amazing. Kirsty Dillon, Sophie Reed, and Xavier uh, Russell. So, Don, what did you learn? What will our listeners take away from this episode with the fantastic Jamie Patterson? So, some, some classic points to take away building a good team for multiple projects, why you have to be proud of all your work, and not believing the hype. Absolutely. We also talk about um, signing contracts, distribution, funding, where that comes from, directing other people's material, talking to actors and how casting is crucial. We had so much fun with Jamie. It was a real laugh. And hopefully you'll take lots away from this episode. But mainly how you can direct 16 features in 10 years. And Jamie is proof you can do that and make fantastic award winning films at the same time. Dom, how are you, buddy? You all right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, good. I'm, I'm very good. I'm enjoying wearing the same blue top as you. Apparently, it's a sort of um, a filmmaker's long sleeve special. For those of you who are listening as a podcast, which this is, you have no idea we're both wearing a blue top. And actually, it's almost identical. They'd never have known, Dom, that we have worn the same outfit today. Yep. And our lockdown haircuts are, are looking remarkably similar as well. <laughs> Uh, mine's slightly longer than yours, but yes, it's uh, it's not looking good. So look, thank you so much for listening to our latest episodes. Uh, Jennifer Sheridan last week talking about Rose, uh, a love story. Oh, it was a delight, and she was a delight. And thank you those who have watched her movie this week. You, I hope you really enjoyed it. And if you do, remember to go and tell her that on her at Filmania Twitter account. But thank you for listening last week. Uh, this Thursday, remember, we've got Clubhouse. It's our a regular event that Android people will be able to join from today, oh, I believe. yeah! Finally! <laughs> 
So Clubhouse is at 7pm every Thursday. We do a filmmakers podcast chat and we'll have a different topic and you can come and ask questions and it's very open form and it's brilliant. But I believe, I have read that today, that it's now opening for Android users. It's not just iPhones. So come join us Thursday, wherever you are in the world, uh, 7pm UK time, 11pm Pacific. Anyway, so that's that. Who knows? Who knows? But that means Dom can join us for yeah, the first time, ever. which will be amazing, because he is part of this team, and it has been sad to not have you on there. Oh, wear my blue top? Yeah, wear blue top, because even more so on Clubhouse, no one can see you at all. <laughs> it's not even like we've got a Zoom where we can see each other. Clubhouse is literally like a conference call. Oh, boo. Um, but yes, blue tops are recommended. Uh, and our patron um, is up and running and flying out the door. We'll be having a new... Um, mini episode out to this week if you want to come support the podcast but more importantly get all the really cool goodies that you get with patreon then do go to our patreon.com forward slash filmmakers podcast and join up there's some really cool juicy bonus content for you including uh, i'm just going to read a couple of these out two monthly minisodes early access to the podcast and up to 20 percent off of our merchandise but anyway that is us um thank you so much for listening i hope you enjoyed this week's episode with myself and the amazing Dom Lenoir. Yeah! Yay! And myself and the fantastic Jamie Patterson. Sit back, relax, get a pen and paper ready. And uh, that's just to write down some of the jokes and the laughs that we have. But then also to write down some of the information you will massively glean from this episode. Jamie, you're a star. Uh, and I can't wait to see what you do next. Enjoy, everyone. Jamie Patson, it's an absolute delight to have you finally with the earphones and the mic on the Filmmakers Podcast. This is, I'm, I'm very excited to be here. This is glorious. This is glorious. I'm, uh, I'm over the moon. How are you doing? How are you coping? Are you I'm, all right? All ri- I'm all right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think so. I think, you know, by lockdown three, I've, I've, I've learned, you know, I've learned from it, you know, it's not <laughs> as good as the first one. <laughs> no, it was, it never had the same. <laughs> it, it's just, I look at the lockdowns as like, do you, do you like do you, the Mighty Ducks franchise is a great way of looking at it. Oh, Emilio Estevez smashing it every time. Mighty Ducks one was, okay, it was all, it was new. It was, it was like, oh, we're not got all this time, jazzy, whatever. By the time we got to like Mighty Ducks two, I was like, ah, okay, I'll, you know, I'll give it a go, but it's not, you know, whatever. Mighty Ducks three, I was like, Phew. It's a slog getting through this one. Exactly. Yeah. It's well, a heads, slog. Let's let's put that idea on ice. Yeah. There we go. There we go. Very good, Dom. Very good. Just puck it, puck it all. Puck it. Hence why I've grown this this beard, Jamie. Um, this is my third uh, lockdown beard. Well, it's my it's my growth of the third lockdown, and I've never grown it this long ever. Ever. It's, it's lush. I still can't grow a beard. Can you so not? This is about four weeks worth. So. <laughs> I, I get the wispy little pubes on the chin. That's all see, I've got. Really? It's sad that our viewers can't see this. It's really, such a it? shame. Such a shame. Dom, you feel left out because you're in between. You've, you've neither got a beard nor you haven't. Well, yeah, I, I feel like I, I'm just, uh, you know, I've just got a good good mid, mid-range beard. That's a lovely, what, what would we call that, stubble? What is that? Like, how long is that no, taking? No, it, it's, well, it's well past a stubble. It, it's, a, it's a light... Uh, it's a light adventurer's beard. I, I think I'd like to. It's a, it's like a, a gentleman's adventurer. Beard. You look like a sort of like a rock climber. That's the vibe I'm getting from you. Yeah, I, I used to enjoy rock climbing. There you that's, go. That's a great. See, here we go. There you go. Look, what we've, we've we've actually covered some amazing topics already, everyone. And 
a bit of bouldering. You live in Brighton. I love Brighton. I've been, when every time I've been there, I've had a great time. I filmed a lot down there and it's just a vibrant, exciting, wonderful place. Have you lived there for a long time? Have you, because you've always made films down there. Pretty much every one of your films is set down Brighton way. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, born and raised. Um, How were you? Oh. So, yeah, it's always been home. Um, it's kind of always been just what I've known. Uh, and just, it just it provides everything for filming. Like it's just got it all. Like um, I think the fourth film I made was this movie called City of Dreamers, which was like my love letter at the time to Brighton. And even though I've shot so many films in Brighton, I, I, you can always find a different angle to approach it. There's, there's so many different sides. There's like the touristy side. There's the sort of darker side. There's the vibrant, colourful side. There's the edgy side. And it's kind of, it's, it's just a city that keeps on giving. Mm. When I first watched the movie, Justine, I was like, I thought this was London. I was 100% sure. Really? That all the, I thought, oh, this is London. And then suddenly went to the seat. I thought, when did they get on the train? When did they? Oh, it's all set in Brighton. And I really love that. I love that you, not that you were aiming to fool me or anything, but I just like the fact that it, <laughs> that was the whole point. Yeah, just to fool you. That was it. <laughs> we're going to get those Londoners. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Little do they know. <laughs> there isn't a sea in London. <laughs> The Thames can look that bad. Joke's on you, idiots. Um, but, you know, Brighton's an amazing place to film. And is, is, because you film so much down there, is it easy now to speak to the council to get permissions? Because, you know, you're still making low-budget films in terms of it's not your mega Harry Potter world where they come in and take over. It's still you, you know, small crew, camera. Do you still get permissions? Is it easier now to do all that, to move everything forward? No. No, I wouldn't say it's easier. Uh, I think any sort of interior locations fine so clubs cafes bar all of that stuff i think anytime we ever shoot on the streets in in brighton it's always been a bit tricky um and it's always it's always been something i've sort of just avoided um in parts just because it works a lot easier um it works a lot easier. we have a small crew we have a small setup and you know the process i remember early doors when we were trying to do some bits of bobs um you know, it just it just wasn't feasible on the budgets that we had, uh, and there was there was a slight lack of support. I think um, in like them going out of their way to help indie filmmakers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, now there's a lot more stuff getting shot here, but you know, I'm talking you know five, six, seven years ago, and um, we just felt like you know anything that we thought you know if we were doing fight scenes or anything like that, we would contact the police and we'd be like, look, hey, if they hear shout and all of this stuff we're shooting a movie and we would let all local residents know. So there's, um, for instance, the scene in there's loads of stuff outside in Justine. Um, and we would just let everyone know in the area that we were filming. Uh, and we always do it that, you know, we, we try not to put other people out. So, you know, if, if, if people, if a car's coming or people need to walk, we'll, we'll cut, we'll wait till they leave. We'll come back. We'll try not to like piss anyone off. Um, but generally, you know, in Brighton, people are quite, quite nice about it and they stop and watch and they're interested. That's really good. You've never had trouble then. You never had trouble from the council coming over and you can't film here. You've never had trouble from residents really, you know, being funny or kids or, or being fu- funny individuals coming yeah. along, sort of, you know, not moving because it's. Oh, yeah, know, right yeah. To not I move. mean, <laughs> not so much. I did a movie, it was two, two things come to mind. We did this film, Fractured, which we did for like 14 grand, um, which is like one of my, I, I think it's a really cool little horror. It's like an eight minute horror. It's, um, and we shot all, all of the driving stuff we shot up on the dike. Um, so we were going back and forth there, back and forth there. And I remember like, for some reason we, we bought loads of visi jack, like uh, high vis jackets for the crew. 
but we didn't check them before we opened them and they were all extra small. So they were like crop tops. <laughs> so like, we just looked weird as fuck. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And on two occasions, we had the police come by and stop. Uh, but thankfully, both times they were Skins fans and my, my missus is in Skins or was in Skins. Uh, and they were just like, oh, you're, you're a girl from Skins. They had a chat, they took a picture and they were like, good luck with it and left. Um, we did once stick a, a generator basically in someone's driveway when we were shooting the scene in a forest and they called the cops as well and we're like they did not and it was like a huge loud generator and we just put it in their drive um oh wow wow no wonder they'd be like listen i can't get my car out not (laughs) this is really fucking loud yeah rude but again the cops were cool they turned up again fans of skins like yo yeah we'll we'll only be half hour uh we knocked on the doors oh really sorry really sorry is a biscuit something like that and we got away with it so the worst i've ever any location i've ever shot and it's been the worst was venice so i did a film called making tracks which was like we had a crew of seven and we ended up in we were in rome we were in nice we were in paris we're in venice and and you know what Venice is like? You stick it, you know, it's busy. It's so busy. Um, and, you know, you, as soon as you stop with a camera, every dickhead in the world wants to look in it. Hi, how you doing? Hi. <laughs> Hi. And, uh, you know, when you're like, oh, it's really funny. It's really... And it just goes on nonstop for your it's whole never day. Funny. And you're like, never I can't get the shots. I don't know what we're going to do here. Um, that was definitely the hardest. There's, there's definitely like a, a huge added pressure when you're, when you're shooting abroad. I, I, did, I did a film in like Germany a, a while ago. And when there's when there's a language barrier, especially in like remote locations, and it's it's not your it's not like somewhere where you know, um, you know, you haven't really got any angle to sell them. You're the kind of the stranger, sort of there with the film crew interrupting people. It's quite a, a difficult thing. Um, you know, did you have anyone sort of? Did you have like a fixer? No. I had, so my my producer Finn, who we did two movies back to back. We did this film called Tucked, and then we had uh, a week and a half off, and then we went off and did uh, Making Tracks or Tracks where depending where you watch it um and he would kind of always be a day ahead of us so he would go and short because it was a crazy one because we didn't have any location sorted all our supporting cast would cast on the day we'd be in a pub and just be like hey do you want to come and do a scene in the movie um and it kind of it added to that sort of authentic feel but i remember i mean the the worst thing i think we did we was in we was in milan and there's a sequence in the movie where our lead is he's running for a train he's late for a train uh and he is um he's so there's we're at milan station absolutely heaving boiling hot day um every we haven't got walkies or anything like that so like the main team's over there and it's me chris our dop and our sound uh sound girl kirsty um and we're kind of like okay chris you've got he's covered in sweats we put fake sweat on him so all you got to do is run as fast as you can towards that station on my call get everything rolling and then we kind of see like my team like waving their hands. I'm realizing I'm waving on a podcast and like people can't see that, but um, waving the hands. We can add some sound effects. <laughs> yeah. Um, going, and it's, it, I feel like they're telling me to hurry up, hurry up. So I'm like, okay, fine, we'll do it. Fine. So action. And Chris starts running as fast as he can towards this place. Uh, and then it kind of all happened in slow motion. But you saw this one like armed guard appear from behind a cafe. And when I say armed guard, he was like seven foot tall like huge machine gun like <laughs> and like the beret everything and wow. i don't know why he's wearing a beret but he had a beret on Do- Dolph Lundgren kind of look proper or? Dolph Lundgren vibes yeah. like just a mean bastard like you wouldn't want to upset him and I've got oh that's interesting and then it sort of stopped that Chris is running with a huge backpack on sweating <laughs> with a woman next to him with a box with loads of wires coming out of it and we've all sort of gone shit in hell it looks like he's got a, oh my god 
Um, have you ever told didn't, anyone? Didn't think I can't shout because if I shout, it's gonna. If I go, get stop out. cut, it's gonna look worse. <laughs> bomb, All my bomb. team was at this point fucked off. Everyone's gone separate ways, so we look even dodgier. And then he gets, and I'm, I'm like, oh my god, I don't know what to do. And then I see behind the cafe, which I didn't see before, is a tank with four other armed guards. There's, it's like on, it's like on high alert. And this guy, and he's fucking running. I remember he just, we all sort of just went, oh my god, oh my, I don't, we don't, you just don't know what to do. Didn't expect for it, didn't expect it. And he sort of, thankfully, he's running towards him and he, he sees the guard and he just, again, this could have backfired so much, but he just immediately turned and ran away just in a completely different direction. <laughs> and we're like, oh my God, why? He's going to shoot you in the back. Like, what? what's going on? Like, and it's just, then, then, then none that's, of, a, that's a legendary response. Yeah, like, oh, he's going <laughs> to shoot you in the back. That's, that's the response. And we were just like, and everyone just went their separate ways. <laughs> And we so were just so like, what happened then? He just no no one no he one did, ever. He didn't give a fuck. A, he just did. The guard did not give a fuck. It's like oh, okay, um, but it's just you kind of think another guard is it like uh, yeah no you've got to be so careful, haven't you? That's a huge lesson, isn't it? Like it's like Jesus, <laughs> I mean, someone gets shot it's over, isn't it? <laughs> don't run through bombs. <laughs> yeah, like I don't know if I'd recover from that. Yeah, my career would go right down the can. Like, well, like, it's a tough one, isn't it? It really is. Wow, it's, it's so important to like at least sort of wrecky things like that. I love the story though. Wow, what amazing story! Yeah, it's one of those stories that in, yes, it's funny now, but I mean at the time, I remember just, just going, and it, ha- it happened. Terror, yeah, 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 absolute terror. Numerous times when we just like, I remember there was a scene where we were on a like a subway in Paris, and this guy got on uh, playing like. Um, What's one of those? What's that thing called? I know you can't. An accordion, That's life it. jacket, an accordion. It's like you were putting a jacket on, but I guessed accordion. Who's um, playing an accordion? Like proper French dude, um, right? Geez, and we were like, oh, we've got to have this scene where they're dancing. This is brilliant. He didn't speak a word of English, so we tried. And we managed to get him. I don't know where he was going, but we got him off the train, and then he just played on the subway next, and we were just dancing. We were like, brilliant. That's thanks so much. We gave him 20 euros. Oh, no, that wasn't any... No, he wanted a lot more. He was like, basically, let's like clean out your pocket. Like, I want everything you've got. You just made me get off this. I'm in a film. What am I doing? And we were like, you were a really nice French man a minute ago. Now you're a really angry French man. What have we done? Um, so we had to give him like... Every, so we basically got robbed. <laughs> yeah, you got robbed by the accordion man. Yeah, but it's oh. a great scene, so it's worth it. Yeah, but, um, well, that's totally worth that's it. A, that's a lesson in negotiation there. <laughs> Always, always have your contracts done up front. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Hey, Mr. Cordia man. We just didn't speak. We just didn't. We didn't really speak. Uh, our DP spoke a little bit of French, but I mean, I mean, it's my comfort zone in Brighton. You, you put me in front anywhere like that. Any, uh, put me in London. I'm not in my comfort zone in London. You know, I, I uh, you know, we did a movie called The Kindred, which did eight days in London in Trellick Towers, in and around Trellick Towers. And it's, it's different vibes, different, you know, it's just, it's, it's different experience. Um, I totally agree with you. Knowing your own space, your area, which is why I love before I go filming anywhere is to spend as much time as I can in those locations. Cause you, then you sort of see every nook and cranny and you just feel it for you shooting in Brighton. It's like, yeah, well, you know where all the cool areas are. You know where the best bits, you know what the best sunrise times are, you know, you know it. And that must be a great advantage, you know, especially the stuff you shot on the beach in Justine, which by the sounds of it was freezing cold. And I imagine it was or just lit by the fire right so therefore it's really difficult to shoot scenes like that anyway but at least you knew you know it looked amazing and you knew what you were putting yourself through yeah that, i remember that was our last that that went and it was one of those scenes where things kept going a bit tits up with it but it worked for it if that made yeah the weather wasn't glorious but that kind of added to the the tar the like the, the color palette of the movie yeah, i remember in the, yeah. in the script they're supposed to 
uh, peel off their clothes and run into the sea and play in the sea. We got there and we're like, the sea's fucking seven miles away. Yeah, it's like, like someone running across the beach. Like, they're never going to get there. Oh, and so we were like, all right, and we're, we're trying to stick up a drone and it's windy and we're just like, fuck it, we'll go for, we're losing light because you know what that's like when you're like, oh, God. we've got yep. 20 minutes to get it or we're fucked. Mm. Um, and we managed to get it and then we was going for it and then realised they were just running and they couldn't hear us shout cut. So they are literally miles out. Then they're rolling around. I've cut ages ago. They're rolling around on the floor, kissing. I'm like, so now I've got to run there. I'll send you a picture. I was dressed like a right twat. I was in I've white high I've, top. Oh, you've seen I've it? I've seen it. Yeah. yeah, go on. Tell everyone what you were wearing. I was this wearing brand new white high tops and this sort of 80s bowling jacket, tight <laughs> jeans. Like I'd never been on a beach in my life. And I'm running. And it's one of those things as well. When you know... You know when you run really fast for like five <laughs> seconds and then you're like, I've done that oh my in the God, past. I can't, I'm going to have to now just stop completely. Stop everything. <laughs> stop my life. Cardio level zero. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like having to get there in these like staggered, they're still rolling around. They can't hear us. But it was one of those things where, oh, yeah, yeah, it's that, that sequence is probably my favorite sequence. I think in that, in that movie, it's just, um, it was worth it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's jump back a little bit because. You know, it's an amazing sort of career. You're only 34, right? Is that 34, your age? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 34. So it means you made your first feature at like 22, 23, 24. So ish, yeah. So uh, let's talk. When was I? I think I, was, I shot it when I was 19, I think I shot my first feature. Uh, look at that. Even better. So let's talk through that because you, you know, you've been a production assistant on other things. Your first feature, as far as I can tell, and please correct me if I'm wrong, is swimming with, um, is swimming in circles. Yeah. Right. Is that right. the one you shot when you were 19? Okay, cool. So let's talk through why you wanted to become a filmmaker and how you made that happen and why did you make a feature film at, at 19? Uh, yeah, so I was like, my childhood was films, basically. You know, I came, I remember like, all I would do is watch films pretty much. They're some of my favourite memories as a kid. Non-stop the Mighty Ducks on Mighty non-stop Ducks, loop. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. Goonies. Only one and two. <laughs> yeah. My Ducks three. All of it and then just go back. Uh, sometimes I'd watch the second one first and I'd watch the third and go back <laughs> just, to the Just first. like The Godfather, I'd fuck yeah, really, it up. Really, really, I mean? I'm telling you, Mighty yeah. Ducks, first one is better than The Godfather. Put it out um, <laughs> That's a quote from that T-shirt. Really quote. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I'd kind of, you know, and this went, this wasn't just for my child, you know, even when I was 18, I wasn't going out on a Saturday night with my friends getting pissed. I was, a highlight of my week was going to the video box where I'd worked as well. I worked in a video, uh, video shop. It. And yeah. I would rent, a, me and my mum and my dad would watch a movie. And, you know, I, I still remember one of the best days of my life was when I came home from school on like a Thursday and there was a video box cassette on the table. And I was like, oh my God, a midweek film. Opened it, Lethal Weapon 4. What a day. <gasps> What a day in the Patterson household that was. Um, and it was great. Um, so, yeah, that was kind of my... And I was just... I loved film. James Bond was my thing. You know, I, I would watch Bond movies nonstop, live and let die. I'd watch it and then watch it again, watch it again. And I would just... I'd get lost in these 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 worlds and, and these films. And then kind of about, I guess, 13, 14, when I kind of figured out a bit more what a director was, a uh, storyteller. You know, my thing when I, I was never very good in school in my feedback would always be like, he's just got to, he's got a lot of ideas. He can never like, he apply he, himself. Yeah. yeah. Just <laughs> <laughs> writes a story. Uh, and it starts off as one thing. And then it's about three or four other things. And I think I still, to this day, I'm very much like that with, I have about 10 or so projects on at the same time. Cause you know how it is. You never know what's going to go next. Like- That's so true, mate. And I think it's so important because like, just to jump in there a little bit, when I first started trying to make my own movies, all I did was have one project and I put 
all my effort into that for so many years and then it hurt so much when it fell apart. Now, not a chance. Now I've got the 10 that could go, you know, within the next couple of months. And it's so important, I feel, to do that because otherwise it does hurt. You do get lost and I hope you're the same. You can bounce between projects that way and it's easier to sort of feel in some sort of control, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. I think, um, you know, you could develop, uh, I was developing a like this action female-led diehard movie uh, American movie that I just I was co-writing with a guy called Christian J Hearn who wrote Fractured and, and wrote The Kindred, um, and it was it was cool as fuck female. It was just a kick-ass action movie, but it was about cops and it was in America. And right now, that's just not a movie anyone's wanting to look at. And it was like we'd spent however long writing it, and it you know the the movie isn't it's not necessarily trying to say anything as a movie. It is just a kick-ass action film but it's not a movie that now is going to be made. And I completely understand why it was also, you know, it was, it was written with good intentions and stuff like that, but you know, the work we, everything's changing so fast within this industry. It changes so fast, what you can do, what you can't do, what you should do, what you shouldn't do, all of that stuff. Um, and you know, the conversations being had now are conversations that are long overdue. Uh, and you know, it's, it's totally right. But, but if I had have only had that project, I would have been devastated because I didn't have anything to fall back on. Um, so yeah, there's always, and there's TV and then there's, I want to do some theatre and it's, it's just whatever. Cause then if you know what it's like, you're in a meeting and you're there to pitch a horror and within the first 10 seconds, they're like, we're not looking for a horror. Yeah. We're looking for Mighty Ducks 5. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, well, exactly. got it. A British Mighty Ducks reboot or whatever. Um, so <laughs> I think it's, good. it's really good to have numerous projects. Um, so yeah, when I was, I, and that's the thing I would always watch. I didn't have like one genre I'd watch. I would watch action movies or horror films or romance. Like, I love, the only things I didn't really like was sci-fi and westerns. Like, I don't like Star Wars. Sue me. It's too much going on. Too many characters, too many Ooh. planets. I don't know where oh, the hell I am. Jamie, I'm with you. Look, there's a lot of people oh, going to be no, throwing I'm gonna, I'm gonna, at the moment. Vehemently disagree. I'm going to tell you my Star Wars story, right, real quick. When I was a kid, uh, I wasn't allowed to watch Star Wars or whatever, and all my friends had the toys. I was like, what are these? Oh, they're Star Wars. I was like, oh, cool, cool, cool. So for Christmas that year, I said, I'd like a Luke Skywalker figure. And at Christmas Day, it, there it was, Luke Skywalker figure. I thought, oh my God, right, I'm going to get into Star Wars. This is it. This is my thing. That was the day some guy came around. I still really don't know who he was. And he died in the chair where all my sort of the presents were put on chairs and moved around in this room. And he had heart attack. The ambulance wouldn't come for ages. I got shipped upstairs. All the presents got chucked in a bag. And then when he'd eventually come round because apparently they did his heart stopped he died literally died it was out cold for like hours um i don't know how that works you know realistically but anyway that's what i got do, told do you think kid. luke killed him is that, is that... <laughs> well it maybe because the... then he because then he pissed off because when they came back to go right here's you know we put them all in bags here they are went through them luke was nowhere to be found all that was left oh there we go it was the force all he, that was left you know. was the lightsaber from that day on i went fuck you star wars fuck you so i'm with you jamie i, I, I would have looked at that as a spiritual intervention that's, yeah. yeah that's why we're different <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> my favorite part of that is some guy turned up at your house and died i think it was santa claus i think it was santa claus i think this is all just a big uh, this is just a big cover-up for giles's first murder <laughs> yeah he died something happened uh, my first one i like that just my first one it wasn't just like a murder um yeah, yeah he's no, done many since then i think it was a friend of some grandpa's or whatever who was round and then yeah just had literally died in the chair how horrendous 
killed that Christmas for me. Um, so anyway, so I'm the same with you. So you didn't like sci-fi, but oh, westerns. I was never keen on westerns either. But but you there's so many other genres we can love and fall in love with, and you had. So did did you just like say pick up a camera early on? Is that also what you did, or how did you actually start going? I'm actually going to make a proper film here. Yeah, well, I think like most people, like sort of my generation, you know, I was watching stuff like. Kevin Smith's Clerks or Rodriguez's mm-hmm. El Mariachi yeah. or, you know, Reservoir Dogs, any of these movies. And I, I certainly remember seeing Clerks and going, I think I can do something similar to that. Because um, still, I've never made a short film. I've still never made a short film. I, I'm not sure oh, I would that's really interesting. how to make a short film. I think making a short film is harder because I think you've it, got... I agree. Yeah, Three-act structure in five minutes. and It's really hard to get tough. a really good short. It's really, yeah. really hard. No question it's about totally it. Different. It's totally different to... You know everything you sort of grow up on watching features. Like you don't you don't grow up watching shorts. It is its own kind of structure. You have to sort of learn it from from the ground up. Yeah, yeah, totally. And it was just, it was also, it was one of those things where I was like, well, I've seen enough movies. Um, I think I now just know how to do it. All I've got to do is write something. That's I should say as well. I went to, I did go to uh, Brighton Film School at the time. So I did like um. But it was it was a ten week course, ten Wednesdays. I've missed the first one because I got pissed the night before. Really annoying because it was a birthday present. My mum was fuming. It's like you know, and you you know when you're like, I got a phone call being like, "Where are you?" I was like, "Who are you?" And like Brighton Film School. It's like, oh shit, before it started next week. Um, so I missed the first one, and then it was it was different then. The, the film school is incredible now, um, but at the time it was like we had one sort of mini DV camera between twenty of us. Like uh, you know, the oldest editing software out there. It was very old-fashioned in the way it was it was put together. Um, but I met some great people there, and um, and had you know met some, met some good friends, and and kind of just I didn't necessarily learn anything there that you can't learn in a book. Like my my best book I ever got was An Idiot's Guide to Independent Filmmaking, um, which I think you can buy now for a penny on Amazon, and it was. It was brilliant. Um, it just had everything in it that you'd need to know to make a movie, basically. Um, and then I just decided I'd sort of I'd, I, the week where I left film school, I got offered I was a runner on this movie called Dummy, which Aaron Taylor Johnson was in. And like no one saw it. I actually think the studio, I think when he did Kick-Ass or it might have been Nowhere Boy, that movie hadn't been released. And I think the studio bought it and shelved it because they were it like, it can happen. It's horrible. They didn't. And, it, and it, it, it's not a bad movie, but it's like a. It's something you think you'd see on probably ITV. You know, it's almost like an ITV or Channel 5. Like, it's just like, it's not It's not his kick-ass. Theme. No, and if he if he hadn't broken out, if he hadn't got kick-ass or Nowhere Boy, they probably would have released it and it would have come out and exactly. been fine. And, and yeah. he, he, he got his ass out in it as well. And I think they were like, oh God, we're not sure. I feel like he's done that in other I stuff. I feel like he's got it out. Maybe they wanted the exclusive maybe, art shot. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, maybe, maybe, his, maybe his ass has improved over, over, over years and he, he wasn't happy with it at the time. Yeah, exactly. You know. Ask Wranglers. <laughs> I did that. And then, you know, the, I was writing. I was writing Swimming in Circles, trying to get it right. and But didn't just do it. I was a clapper loader. I was a third AD, a second AD. I was a first. How did you just jump in on that, Jamie? How did you get those jobs? How did you, how, was it people you knew? You know, for the people listening, if they haven't been on set, how did you get on set? So when I got the job as a runner on Dummy, um, I was good friends with the line producer on that film. Um, and she went on to do another pro- and like so many things in this industry, it's like if you get on with someone and you do a good job, they want you on the next thing. Hundred um, percent, so and true. it just goes on. Yeah. So probably off of that one job I did on Dummy, I think I got six jobs. Now, granted, none of these 
none of these paid. Um, so it was that <laughs> I didn't get start any, somewhere. But, you know, yeah, I was living at home with my folks. And like, I remember when I went, the, the next project I did was, uh, it was a weird as fuck project. So it was called, it was the Bible project, right? Yeah. The big TV one. No, didn't do that no. one. Okay. <laughs> the right. shitty okay. one that no one saw. That's what I was. <laughs> um, it was an odd one. Cause I, came, I was, I remember I was a production assistant on it and I got it through the line producer of dummy as well. And it was this company in America had given shitloads of money to do these 20 minute shorts of sections of the Bible. Uh, and they were spending like 1.6 million or something on these big things. We shoot, and I remember I was excited because we were shooting on a red, and the red was really hip and hot. The red one, yeah, the new one. Yeah, yeah everyone was like, yeah. "Oh, cool, the red." Um, yeah. And it shot in Morocco, and we was at Atlas Studios, which is where they'd done uh, Kingdom of Heaven, that terrible Orlando Bloom movie. Um, I remember I was I was telling everyone I was staying in Orlando Bloom's room because that's what I've been told. Absolute lie. I was staying in his <laughs> mum's room. Like, for oh, some reason, Orlando's doing mum went with him. I hope she wasn't there. She, yeah, me and, me and I, if we go way back. <laughs> so, though, to uh, be fair, if she looks like Orlando in any way, shape or form, she's not going to He's be got bad. better with age as well. He's looking great these days. He's, his latest film, by what? the way, his latest film. He looked fantastic, isn't it? Retaliation, ah, okay. yeah. Um, I think the directors are going to come on. Shamashian Brothers said they'd come on the app, on the pod, and have a chat. So yeah, so it looks great. That film looks fantastic. I can't wait to see it just because you know it's Orlando. But anyway, so you're not staying in Orlando's room because that would have been great. <laughs> yeah, uh, and I remember like I'd never been on like I never shot anything on a on a, stu- a studio before on these big sets, and I didn't really know what to expect. But I remember I got there. I think it was day two. Uh, and they went, okay, yeah, we've got a job for you, Jamie. I was like, oh, okay, great. And they introduced me to this camel, and I was like, <laughs> uh, right. he had the hump. Yeah, hump, it, I tell you what, <laughs> grumpy bastards, camel. I'd never, I'd never seen a camel. I'd never hung out with a camel. No, um, they're, they're not friends to humans. They're not. Uh, and no, the, why would they be? They just I mean, went. They went. Your job is to look after this camel for now. Oh my <laughs> god! Oh my god! And I, I was like, what do you, what do you mean, look after I, a camel? I hope you put that on your CD. CD <laughs> <is> camel herder, <laughs> camel looking after, mean, camel wrangler. Like what is it? And also, we was we, this was a bit. We were shooting just outside where the um the studio, and it was in the it was baking hot. And I didn't have. Any, I, I was again. I was dressed like a dickhead. Uh, I, I didn't have a. I didn't have an umbrella. I was just burning, and I was just sitting on a on a stone with a camel for just hours and i was Camels just like, have got a solution for that you just got to put it in the hump <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what do you do with it like what do you do i was like you see, well, yeah, i was sweating you, you so can't the, even play with them can't play with them can't do anything it just it just spits at you and you're like they did the first day didn't use it once camel wasn't in it so i'm like here's the camel back just spent eight hours with it <laughs> Did you get to ride it? Didn't get to ride it. Did nothing oh. with a camel. Didn't even want to touch it, really. I just didn't want it to eat me. Um, and then, so we go out first night. Second day, same thing. I was like, I'm looking after this camel. They never used it. And I was like, this is ridiculous. Uh, at the end of it, I'm like, I'm not, it was my birthday the next day. I was like, I'm not looking after that. I'm going to come in tomorrow and I'm going to say, I'm not looking after the camel because they're never using the camel. Camel doesn't like me. This isn't what I want to do. Uh, that night, we went out, ate something, got the worst food poisoning I've ever had in my life. Oh, no. So... <laughs> I didn't go to set the next day to look after the camel because I didn't leave the bedroom for the next two days. Uh, and then by the time I'd let, I'd finally got back to set, uh, they pretty much shot it all. Um, so I was like, great. The camel, I hope. Um, <laughs> so that was like, I'd done that. And yeah, I was right in swimming circles. I was like, I said, doing clap a load of doing whatever I can based on sort of people recommending me. And then I put my girlfriend at the time in swimming in circles. She was an actress, is an actress. Um, and then I did like a, just a local casting thing. I shot in my mate's house. My mate Ted was uh, doing sound. We bought like a 
12.99 mic from Maplin, put it on the end of a mop, gaffered it on. Love that. Love Straight that. into the camera. No faffing yep. about. I yep. shot it. Uh, so I shot, I'd never done that before. I, I, I'm not really a, a camera dude, um, but I shot it. We shot the whole movie in four days. It was kind of this black and white inspired by clerks again. Uh, and it was just about an unlikely friendship. I think if you look at that and you look at a lot of my films, like tucked or whatever, I'm fascinated by it. Like this idea of unlikely friendships and bromances and romances and all of this stuff. Um, I, t- I agree. Yeah. And it was, you know, it took me three years to, uh, I think two and a bit years to edit it. Cause I made that, it was the first feature I'd ever edited. I edited it all on a laptop, which then my laptop, I remember at Christmas, my laptop blew up. Um, and I didn't I'm back. Not surprised. I just had the footage. Oh, um, no. It was like a, I think I paid £600 for it. Toshiba laptop. It was like a, it was oh, huge. Just not good for editing on. Really just sounds, doesn't sounds like, like it. An, sounds like an aeroplane. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it just went <laughs> yeah. kaput. And I remember I had, to, I had to get, I had to work another couple of jobs. I've had some weird jobs. I did silver service. I drove a train around Lapland. I was a carpet fitter, whatever I could to get money to buy another laptop. Drove a train round Lapland. Best job I ever had. I say Lapland. It was Lapland in Earl's Court, but still it was Lapland. <laughs> it was still <laughs> Lapland in my head. Uh, honestly, it was the best job. I, I, I drove um, Tamir Hassan round. Do you know him, the actor? Yeah, Tam- Tam- Hassan, Tam- right? Tam- is, Tam- is that? I think yeah. it's Tam- Tamahassan. Tam- I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, yeah. I drove him round my train right when he was doing the business as well. So he was like, the business is like my parents' favourite It's film. a brilliant film. It's a really good, well-made film, that. Very good. So so you so, had loads when of... You were... Oh, go on, Tom. No, I was just going to say, so so when you're, you're making this this feature, this is this is like your sort of the first time you sort of got behind the camera, you've done the sound yourself. Like what, what actual struggles did you, you come across in, in the post-production period? Because I, I imagine that you may have like had some shots that were missing or you've had to go through the ADR process. Um, you know, was it straightforward? Did it sort of turn out all right? Or was it like a, a real like shocking learning? Experience? Oh, it turned out awful. Like it's terrible. It's such a bad movie. Um, it's got, what I like about it is... Um, there's snippets of it which I've used in later, like movies I've done later on, shots or ideas or something. Um, but I, I think it's no, it's a complete, it's a complete mess of a movie. But you know what? It, it is a finished feature film, and I think that was so much of what I, yeah, filmmaking is is problem solving. But it's also you make mistakes on every. You guys know every film you do, you make mistakes. The key thing is you try not to make the same mistake twice. You just make new ones, but you're always making mistakes. So. It was such a, for me, it was such a great learning process to be like, I've made this film, it's shit, but I did it. Now, if I could just get a bit more money, if I could, yeah, I need to develop myself as a writer, I need to, you know, a bit more production value. And I kind of, you know, that, that had a budget of £100 for that movie. Um, wow. So it was it was low. Uh, and and did a, you did you release how, it? How much all? of that was the mock? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, Got the best mock. How good was this mock? The mock, mock, the mock was my mum's mop. I, I, yeah, she weren't oh, happy about that. No, she I'm never used it. To be fair, but it was one of those things. You know, it had been under the stairs for years. She'd never used it. I take it as out as soon as you wanted it. Yeah, yep. I take it out, break it, granted, of course, and use it. And then all of a sudden, it's like she mops every day, and it's like, where's my mop? I was like, she I, turns into Mrs. Mop. Exactly. Where is it? I need it now. Absolutely shock, fuming, no fun. But so, did you get that film released at all? Did it? Did you? Did you push it out? We we premiered it uh, above the Marwood Pub. Uh, I remember it was like the the, we had like seventy people come along. Wow! uh, And it was like that's a good turnout. Yeah, it was all friends, all fans. I've I've been really lucky. I've always had like a really good, uh, loyal, amazing bunch of friends and family who've always, from that film to anything I've done, have always supported it, have always watched it. That's really cool. That's great. Um, 
so and I remember that night we did it came out briefly I, I think it's on I think we put it on YouTube for free now just because I, I like having, the trailers definitely on YouTube um it was on I think we I think it was on Vimeo on demand for a bit like uh, I think when we did something with that now it's a movie like I would show it to anyone who asked but it's not necessarily a movie if you put my name into Google that I want to be like oh this is the movie he did but I think it's important that I acknowledge it and I own it and I'm still very proud of it I didn't I tried just as hard on that film as I have on my last film. It's just I'm a better filmmaker now, hopefully. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I had a similar thing. Like, um, you know, I made a couple of features that were <laughs> sub five thousand pounds for them, and some people are like, oh yeah, you shouldn't, you shouldn't talk about them. You, you know, you can't claim them as a feature. It's like, well, you, you've gone through the process of making a feature. You've, you've, you've delivered it. It's you know out on DVD or you know some kind of streaming service somewhere. Whether it's good or not, whether it represents where you are, like it, it, it shows that you've you've gone through that process and you you're still doing stuff. So I, I think it's a, you know, it's something you should own. I totally agree. Totally agree. Is it, so from there, you were like, I want to carry on this. You know, you made this for hundred quid and a, a broken mop. What? <laughs> what? How did you then go? I want to see the sequel, like, but involving the mop. I think that I think it could make a great character. The mop. Great, great. What about? Good. What about? I'm just going to pitch on, this. Please, Mighty pitch. Ducks Four, involving you know a guy who can't afford uh, you know a, a, an his ice hockey stick. So he gets stick, a, yep. he gets the mock. He he, he tapes it together. Uh, he uses a you know a, a microphone on the end to get the the little hook to score. And he becomes the best uh, best duck ever. We'll make it for a hundred pounds. It's just yeah. <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> we're, uh, we're, all in. we're all in. We're all in. Oh God! But you, <laughs> but then you went on to you, your second video almost straight away. I mean, like say it took you two years to edit that, but as soon as you got it out and you'd well, like say you'd watched it and you got people to watch it, and that still inspired you to go, no, no, this is what I want to do. And you, confession and billboard almost seem to be in the same year. And Daisy as well. It's like you just went bam, banam, banam. Was was this just in your conscious to say, I'm just you know, I'm living at home. I can do this. I'm just going to keep making movies. What was your thinking process behind that? Yeah, yeah, I think I was very, I knew I had an opportunity when I was sort of in my early 20s where I wasn't, I wasn't paying rent. Um, I was work, well, I was paying a little bit of rent, but I was working, I think I was doing a data input in job at the time as well. I um, love all your jobs. There's so many amazing jobs <laughs> yeah. you've had. Did you, did you go through agencies? Is that, is that what it is? Special, special job requirements needed. Camel wrangler. So. <laughs> Camel wrangler and train driver. <laughs> oh, that train drive. What a job. Um, I would just do whatever, whatever came up that allowed me to still do my films you know what I mean I like the data inputting was like I was on it yeah I wasn't I, I was never contracted on any of these jobs so if something in my head I was like when Bond comes I could just leave this and and do my Bond movie uh so yeah when I did I mean when we premiered um Swimming in Circles I uh that night I got given three thousand pounds to make Billboard by like friends and family they were just like oh she's so good have you got an idea for another one and I'd already I'd already, like anyone says, when you premiere a movie, really, you should have the next movie good to go. Like I always try and have, like Justine's out now, but I've got two more features in post because it's important. You know, you're always, you never know how a film's going to perform. Um, but I got given £3,000 to make Billboard and that was kind of my dark, that's why I started to explore a little bit more dark comedy. You know, it's this weird thing of this couple that have a one night stand and accidentally end up killing her abusive ex-boyfriend and then they have to cut the body up and bury it and get away with the, you know, those sort of, you've seen it a lot in American cinema, American indies. This was kind of, you'd see this movie a lot. I was like, I'll have a go at that. Um, and I did that for 3000. Same thing. I think we shot in, we shot that in seven or eight days. 
Um, and then I did Confession, which was all in a flat again, two actors, all about sort of the decline of their relationship as they move into a new flat, made that for £500. Um, and was just, I, I, at this point, I wasn't editing anymore. So after Swimming yeah, you got Circles... David Fricker, brought, who's been, like, we've worked with him loads, right? And his name's been bouncing around for a long time in my world as well. So that's great that you've got that collaboration. with someone Yeah, like and he, he's yeah. great. He's just, he, he's brilliant at what he does. Um, we have a great working relationship. And it was just... I, for me, it was quickly. I didn't have the patience to be an editor. Um, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's, it's, it's not easy. It's yeah. But it's but tough. what I think is good is that you've learned to do it. You like I did. I had to. It was horrible, painful. I was doing some corporate thing, and I had to teach myself to do it because I paid so little on the job. I was like, well, I can't. You know, I'm producing this. I can't afford to bring an editor in. I'll learn. And it was the longest, most painful thing. But I'm so glad I did now. Now I can edit. But I understand. I think it's made me a better filmmaker because you understand your transition shots. You understand how it's going to look in the edit. You're constantly thinking about it. Corporate editing is extremely soul destroying as well. I've uh, I had to make a conscious decision just to you know unless there was like a, a really interesting subject matter just walk away from corporate editing. Yeah, it's brutal. I've done yeah I I, don't, I haven't done a few in a while, but I remember I did I did some shockers. The best thing I ever did I wasn't is this corp I, I did something for the RSPCA. I did the bull like the Staffy Bulldog campaign. Oh, that was a great campaign. That was yeah, a, I love that. It campaign. was a cool campaign, but I, I tell you what, the dogs had bigger teams than any actor I've ever worked with. They had like <laughs> two agents, a manager, and then there's like make, they can only work for twenty minutes before they want. And it, it totally makes sense, but like I've just ne- these dogs were divas. I mean, they were glorious. They delivered. Um, yeah, yeah, but yeah. Still, like my dog Riley. You know what I mean? I'm the same. Like if I, I need to get my uh, an agent for my dog so she can do the headers. And there's in so an much money in it as well. Like I, I, these yeah, dogs were caked up. Like <laughs> it's. Um, so they had high tops on and everything. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Running along the beach. <laughs> um, so anyway, we totally jumped off track with that. But yeah, but you, like I say, you learned to edit. And now you brought in another editor, you were saying, and that, and that helped you sort of go, okay, I can, I can do this. So Billboard, Confession, Daisy, you were sort of like getting, understanding your process a lot more and your uh, filmmaking sort of knowledge. Were you also during this time, were you thinking... Like you say, any minute James Bond will come or any minute I'll get funding or any minute I'll... Was it constantly just going, I'll just go do another one. I'll just do another one. My my thought was always, you know, oh, soon it, one of these will hit. I'm going to get better as a filmmaker. One of them will hit and then that'll be it. That'll be my clerks, my whatever. I'll win Sundance. I'll, it's going to be glorious. And that actually happened. Why? What I, I thought that had happened on my fourth film. So after that, I did this film. You thought you'd won Sundance. Not Sundance, but I thought <laughs> it was the first time in my career where I thought, fucking hell, I've made it. I've proper made it here. I did this Yeah, I did this film called City of Dreamers, which we made for 11 grand. I think we shot in nine or 10 days. And it was like, a, it was my little love letter to Brighton. Um, it was kind of, do you, do you remember that movie Once? Do you ever see Once? Yeah, it's like that. Yeah, yeah. very yeah. similar vibes. Love that, love that film. Um, all about this girl who kind of comes down to Brighton in the summer and through music and the vibe and the general scene sort of starts a new life and finds happiness and love and all of this stuff. Um, and it was the first thing I'd done where I felt like, okay, I, I, I know how to write an ending of a movie now because I think that took me a bit of, you know, it's normally just everyone dies and that's it. Like, it's like, how do you end a movie? It's trying to figure that out. Um, and it just, I had, a, it just felt like, I felt like I was a better filmmaker was doing it. And we, I remember we, we premiered it at Duke of York's. We'd sold that out a couple of a couple couple of days. And then it was the first one we ever did a festival thing with. So we did festivals with it. And 
Randy, I've got another Orlando Bloom story. He is featuring heavily in this podcast. <laughs> yes, this for the first uh, time ever. Sponsored by Orlando Bloom. <laughs> I remember we sort of... And his mother. <laughs> and a mum. <laughs> yeah. We'd, um, we'd played a lot of... we played like a lot of festivals for me and um, we'd gone to like Milan, um, Rhode Island and, and we'd won at some of these festivals. They weren't big festivals, but for us it was exciting. Rhode Island's pretty big. It's brilliant. It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't actually Rhode Island. Oh, okay. It was, uh, it was oh, a yeah. festival in Rhode Island. <laughs> is, it, is it like when people are like, yeah, I, I'm in Cannes and it's like, are you in Cannes or are you in the Cannes short film Exactly. That, yes. <laughs> um, and we, I remember we'd, so we'd gone to Madrid International Film Festival. So me and like eight of the cast and crew kind of were there. And it was the, it was a big night. It was They'd spent a lot of money on it. There was like a full dinner. There was free alcohol. Everyone was in suits and stuff like that. And we'd got nominated for Best Feature Film. And I remember we'd all gone out there and we were like, this is this is cool. We, don't, we didn't really think we were going to win it. So everyone's like drinking. And then they get to do our category. Um, and we, we was up against Orlando Bloom had this movie called The Good Doctor. I don't know if you remember it. Um, it's like no one really saw it. It's like what, he's actually really good in it. It's quite dark. Um, it, he plays like a doctor who starts drugging this female patient, so she keeps coming back to him because he's obsessed with her. It's kind of it, it, it was like one point three million or something budget, um, and he's so everyone's just expecting his film's going to win it. And then they get to the bit where they they do the clips, and that was the bit we were most excited about. The, 10 second clip when they yeah, say uh, everyone's going to see yeah, this yeah everyone's going to see something of it and there's some really fucking cool people in here yeah and they got to our clip and it didn't work <gasps> and I was fuming and I'd already had yeah, a few I was course. loudest I was making right old tea <laughs> this is ridiculous <laughs> like like my investors had come out there as well he's representing England so everyone's like fuming everyone's in such a bad mood and then we won they said oh, and the winner is City of Dreamers so everyone was like oh my god we won Got up there, did some ridiculous speech. Um, I just, I can't, I said something awful. It was terrible. Um, but was just so excited. And, just, and and I remember I went straight outside and I phoned my parents and I was like, we just won this. I think this, and my, my mom was like, oh my, this is it. This is the start. I think you're going to get stuff. And I'm so proud of you. And, and you, you felt like, it felt like, oh wow, we've just beat Orlando Bloom. We we, we must. Um, someone's going to offer me a film, right? This must just happen. beat Orlando <laughs> it's Bloom. Like, just, um, and then um, there he is. And I remember. So then there was um, the the woman there had won. There's this woman there who'd won for best short. Her, she'd done a short film and it won best short film. And I got chatting to her, uh, and we were flirting a little bit, going back and forth. You know, you know, it's having a little flirt up. Uh, happy, happy as Larry. Like both happy. You've had a, you've had a drink. We've had a drink. <laughs> we had a, we both won. And I get chatting, and I was like, well, so yeah, what do you what do you do when you're not making shorts? And she was like, Oh, I'm a producer on this TV show. I was like, Cool, what's what's the TV show? And she was like, The Mentalist. Do you remember that TV show? <gasps> of course. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Fantastic. So, uh, Simon show. Baker, I think, is the lead now. Simon Baker, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And she was like, Yeah, I produce I produce on this. I'm I'm looking to write and, and get into it. So I'm like chatting to her, and like we end up we go we go to this club, we have this wild great night. And then she's like, um, you should come out to LA. You should come out to LA, come to Warner Brothers. Like, I'll introduce you to the writers, producers, and stuff like that. So when you're like 24 or whatever, mm-hmm. you've just, I remember also, is it Madeline Zimmer was the, at this night? Do you remember her? Do you remember uh, what she, Californication? She's the one who Yeah, Californication, punches, the one that punches him in the yeah, face. Yeah, she was <laughs> there. She won Best Actress and I had a little dance with her. Happy days. Oh, great. Um, Happy days, great. So I was like, oh my God, I'm, I'm going to go to LA. Top of the world. <laughs> so I had um, <laughs> my, so that's exactly what I did. I came back and I thought I, I booked a flight to LA. Um, I stayed with my friend Lucy, who was in a TV show called True Blood out there. Uh, and Fantastic. she she put me yeah. up for like six weeks, um, six and a half weeks for nothing. Absolute legend. Uh, but I, when I got there, I remember I was just like, I've, I've come here to basically do the mentalist in my head. 
and I'd started spending money like an absolute don, everything on a credit card. Um, and I was, you know, buying drinks for everyone doing that. I was going for these meetings with like Stephen Moyer and agents and all of this stuff. And then I went to, I, she was like, come to Warner Brothers. I went to Warner Brothers. They gave me the keys to drive the little buggy round, Warner Brothers, like the writer's buggy. Just, yeah, just, yeah, just yeah. have a drive. I went, just have a drive round it. I'll have a drive I've round. I've been there, I'll mate. I've Warner. been round. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing, um, isn't it? Brandon Ralph was there. You remember the, the shit Superman? He was there. Uh, he yeah, walked yeah. in front of well, like Actually, he's, nice. he's not even a, a bad Superman. Uh, but it was just that movie wasn't a good Superman. Um, a bit like Henry Cavill. I just, I think that Henry Cavill is a good Superman, but the movie's not a good movie. Um, yeah, I know what you mean. You know yeah, what I mean? He got a shit time he for just, that. Yeah, he, he couldn't do another movie because he was signed to a contract to do the next Superman and therefore they left him hanging and bless it. He couldn't work for three years and everyone think, what happened to Brandon Routh? Uh, well, that's what happened to him. Poor kid. Anyway. He was there. And oh, great. And he had, I think he was driving a Porsche. He was doing all right. Well, um, you're in a little buggies in a Porsche. Yeah, yeah. Similar. <laughs> so I'm going around and thinking this is, and I'm chatting to this girl. And, and by this point as well, kind of like nothing had, nothing had happened with us. Like it just didn't really work out. Wasn't kind of, wasn't, wasn't going on. And that vibe changed a little bit. Um, but <laughs> I'm sure you'll appreciate this story. Yeah, I haven't said anything. <laughs> um, uh, and then, um, uh, so, so then I meet this guy called Chris, who's a director on the show. And he's like this Essex boy. And he's, and he's telling me like, yeah, we shoot an episode in eight days. You get paid a hundred thousand dollars per rep. He lived in yeah, a mansion like five minutes from from the studio, and I was like, "This is a, like, why are you telling me all this stuff? I've got yeah, bu- like, if you're not yeah, giving me the job, surely." Yeah, they loved City of Dreamers, and I remember sort of at the end of the day, I kind of she just kind of took the keys back to the buggy and was just like, "Did you have a nice time?" I was like, "Yeah, it was great." She was like, "Cool, see ya." And I was like, <laughs> "Okay, uh, okay." By this point, oh, we I've, can laugh now. I've, got, but... I've spent seven grand on credit oh, card. I, I remember God. I was I'd gone to like San Francisco for two days to I for a random recce because I was trying to I was trying to see if I could actually shoot something there while I was there. It was all very crazy. Anyway, I remember I'd gone out and and, and like I had a few beers, come home, and I'd gone on my NatWest app and saw like oh I can open a new account and get a thousand pound overdraft just on my phone. So I did that. So I, I was doing that the whole time. Spent a load of money. And then just you just came back with absolutely nothing. No, but it's not, no, no. You, you didn't come back with absolutely nothing. You came back with a, a wealth of legendary stories. <laughs> so I mean, <laughs> stories. Seven grand. If you, later. Weigh, if you weigh up, <laughs> I mean, an anecdote per pound. Like you're doing quite <laughs> yeah, well. Yeah, that's, that's true. Um, but yeah, when I came back and Fuck. it was sort of like I'm not in LA. I'm back at home with my folks. I'm seven grand in debt. Um, and I also don't. I didn't at that point have another film project. Uh, and I also was like okay i need to pay this money off so i had to work you know get more job go back to data input in i started working at a cinema as an usher um you know just try to yeah summer job carpet fitting with my dad um to pay off that that debt um well looking back now right what would you do differently if that happened again the same sort of scenario just to help people who are going oh, i'm gonna follow my dream as well to la and just but, but would you would you would you change it though probably not yeah would that's a good question i might yeah. i might not the only thing i'm you know i might let someone else buy me a drink you know especially when you're going out with people oh, yeah. who have minted <laughs> minted yeah that's, exactly who got a hundred thousand pounds for just eight that's days what really fucks me off about this industry yeah, you know when yeah, you like you yeah. go out and you're out with producers and stuff like that I remember I was in Cannes once uh, and I was there with uh, a producer and a ve- like a very wealthy like investor and we went to the bar and I had a Coke. She had a Coke, it was seven quid or whatever for a Coke. But I was like, so I'd walked to the bar and they said, what do you want to drink? This producer. And I went, oh, I'll have a Coke. And he went, sure. And then everyone else ordered, gin and tonics, all of that. 
He then fucks off. <gasps> oh, yeah, yeah. And it was like 60 yeah. something quid. And I was like, I've had a Coke and he's minted. Um, yeah. And I was like, mm. things and things like that happen a lot where you're just like, you go that. for dinner with someone and you're like, I've just seen a picture of your house on like yeah. the sun. Like, yeah. why why am I picking up this bill? This doesn't make any sense. Well, that's why they're rich. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. They're, <laughs> not they're not spending on drinks. <laughs> people like you. It's, it's funny, isn't it? You have to be so careful, I think, sometimes in this world, not to let things go to your head or think because you've just won an award or whatever it is to, 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 to go to because it can easily happen and then you can get lost and it's just being clever. But like you say, you wouldn't change anything and I don't think you should, but is there any advice you could give that younger self now? Like to say, let me just let me just make sure I'm speaking to the right people, right? Or maybe am I actually up for this? Would you do that? Maybe yeah, I think I would, like I've definitely made some mistakes where my decisions were driven or motivated by just pure excitement by going into a meeting and someone who you've never met going, you're fucking cool. Um, I'm going to distribute your movie. I'm going to give you money for your movie. And you're like, okay, yes. I remember we, we signed, was it a, for city of dreamers? We originally signed a distribution deal with a company. I can't remember what they were called. They're not, they're not around anymore, but the only reason we signed with them, one, they were the only person who asked for the film, but two, they just put a movie out with Paul Gross. Do you know who Paul Gross is? The greatest yes, yeah. TV show of all time, you know, the the Mountie who sells cases in Chicago with his deaf wolf. Yeah. Um, Trusted hound, And they yeah. just yeah. put a movie out with him. And I was like, that's fucking, that's it. Like, if they're, he's, he's the greatest actor of all time. <laughs> um, that means this film's going to be great. And it was a weird thing. I remember that was, that was a learning experience because we had to, they didn't pay for the film up front and they did such a bad job and they were such crooks we ended up having to buy the movie back for i think it was 3 grand oh, so i had to buy oh, my own movie back man. which they didn't pay for and that was that was that was one of the i remember i lost my absolute rag on that um so i would say it's very when you're starting out it is really easy to get swept up in it all and i think that's part of the fun of it like i've got funny stories to tell now and like being 20 something years old in la um hanging out with some of the people i did was glorious but I think, yes, of course, like it's fun in that moment. I think when now, you know, if I was going to sign a contract, you just got to take everything with a, a pinch of salt, enjoy it, but don't like put all your eggs in like, you, especially in America that they love saying, oh yeah, you're going to be the next this, you're going to do this. And then you leave the room and you never hear from them again. And you're like, what the fuck's happened there? Over here, they just tell you no, and then they don't do it anyway. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. at least you know where you're yeah. at. No, that's very but, true. Yeah, you know where you're at in the UK. Whereas the, uh, the Duplass brothers, I think it's Mark Duplass, there's a brilliant TED talk where he literally describes that. He says, I spent so long going to meetings in America, I spent a year and a half of them all going, yeah, it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And they're like, no, sod that. I just want to go make a movie for 20 grand, 60 grand, because I can. Whereas you lot are just talking absolute crap for ages and waiting for a star to sign and waiting for this. And it's like, you, as filmmakers, we have to make shit. As directors, if we're not doing it, we feel itchy and angsty and we, we just want to do it. And I totally get why you've just gone, bang, I'm doing another one, bang, I'm doing another one. But, but it's, 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 it's very important as well because you get you do... When you're starting out, it's very tricky navigating that sales agent world. Like, you know, as Giles says, there's the excitement, but there's also the sort of pressure of like, well, I've made a film. We need to kind of go with someone that's going to do something with it. And, you know, you go into those meetings and like, yeah, yeah, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. And the thing is, like, it's very hard to hold them accountable and it's very hard to know who actually, you know, can sell your film or is going to, you know, put in the effort um and it's a very tricky situation of like you know do you just go with someone to get it out there or do you wait in the hopes that you'll find someone else yeah it's learning it's learning the contract 
talk as well, which I imagine, Jamie, you've had to learn the distribution side as well. And if someone is taking your film on and you have been burnt, which I imagine you have when a film has an okay and you go, well, I'm not getting a penny. So I imagine over time you've gone, well, let me look at these contracts. Let me just look at their expenses cap. Let me just look at their re- who's recouping first or, you know, whatever else it is on there, you know, no cross collateralization, all that kind of stuff. Have you, have you learned that? Is that something you've done yourself? No, again, learned through making mistakes. So learn through signing contracts before I really should have signed a contract. Um, I think distribution is the key where you get fucked a lot. Like that, you know, we, yeah, when we do indies, you get always into script, like you, you get your back end and all of these things. And like, I've never made a penny from a back end on any film I've ever made. And I've made 16 films. Um, and a lot of that gets lost because of the distribution deal that's been done, because there's a £50,000 marketing thing when you've only made the movie for 50 grand. Or, you know, there's all these different costs that come up, or you've, you've got 50-50 split, or you've got, there's a sales agent who's taken this cut, and then a distributor's taken this cut. And mm-hmm. sort of seven months down the line, you get a check for 19p, and you're like, yes. Happened here? So, so how, do you get, how do you get money then if you're not getting it from the back end? Do you write that into your yes. fees? Is so that, I kind of got taught quite early doors um, to try and get as much money as possible up front. Um, and I, I, I say that, like, I don't get huge fees for my movies up front. Like, um, I can be entirely honest about that. Like, I think it got very, I think I've got three grand for Tucked, uh, which is my on paper, most successful film. Um, you know, I've got a good back end in that, but whether or not I'll ever see anything in that is kind of, it's, it's one of those things. So like when I did Tucked, I signed with Gersh in America and, and that was their key thing of just like, just try and get as much of the fee up front as money in the bank. Cause it's real. Yes, it's there. You can live on exactly. that. You can't live on the it, never, that. That pays the mortgage. That pays the bills. That, and yeah, get a, get as good as get a back end if, if you can. But like, it's just you've got to play the odds, don't you? You've got to go. If I've made fifteen, sixteen movies and never made a penny through a back end, like it kind of that kind of shows. And I think it's just it's getting harder as well for for indie films to make good good money. You know, I totally agree. Yeah, and and on that note, I mean, in terms of like. You know, do you are you are you happy sort of making films in a certain budget range, or does it get to a point? Because I mean, sometimes you 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 know you can do with guerrilla shooting, and you can make it with like mates' favors, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But there comes a point when you need to sort of you know raise it a little bit, um, and you then then people start expecting to be you know paid proper rates and and all this kind of stuff. How do you sort of navigate around that? transition or do you just have a group that are just really in, in it with you all the time yeah I have, I have an amazing group amazing team that you know we kind of some people we sort of swap out some people here and there depending on the project and genre if it's if it's right for someone and not right for someone but you know my crews are always quite small or generally sort of like between like 12 and 14 maybe for the crew on the film um if not less uh i think i feel like i've got to a point in my career now where the sort of fifty thousand pound movie, so uh, 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 tucked, Justine making tracks, whatever. Um, I feel like I've done that to the best of my ability a lot of times, um, and the, I, if I could make those sort of movies for the rest of my life, I would. But one, I can't afford to. I need to, you know, when when someone I know someone is getting six and a half grand a day to do a DFS ad. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. DFS. Yeah. The sale that yeah. never ends. Yeah. You know, you're going to give a year and a half, two years of your life to a movie and get like it's just not it's not practical um and it's also not fair to ask my team to do that anymore because i feel like i've asked it too many times and they will they go with me and they're incredible of course but yeah the next mm. thing and i don't expect like i'm i think the i've got a project with my american team which is sort of at the five million 
dollars budget. I'm not expecting to go from 50,000 to 5 million. The, the indie scene in America is very different to over here. Um, I think I, the only thing I want going forward, ideally, is a little bit more time uh, and a little bit more money for everyone just to make the film. And if that's 200,000, you know, it's, it's realistic. And I think I've certainly done a body of work now where I can go, well, I think I've earned that sort of budget to be making a movie and I can do a good job as well. I can certainly make a movie for that. A hundred percent. You've got award-winning films under your belt that are all really fantastic, you know, that people really care about. You know, Tucked was fantastic. Jordan is Jordan Stevens, who is one of your leads in it. He's brilliant. I play football with Jordan and he's just fantastic in it. And, you know, Justine is just a delightful movie you know um and i think you massively have shown you can do this it is and sometimes i always think people go oh well the jump from 15k or whatever to you know 2 million well it's not you're still doing the same job you're you're doing nothing different except people are getting paid <laughs> there's people around you to help you put shit around <laughs> you know because because if people knew the favors that you pulled in on on these films you know the actual cost of the movie is is probably is like 200 grand or 300 grand like you know you're not making them like like you know, with a, a couple of mates with a camera, like you're still making quality film. Absolutely, and it's an amazing achievement what you've done, Jamie. It really is a huge inspiration for anyone listening. And any filmmaker should be taking the leaf out of your book and going, "Hang on, look what Jamie's done here. This is incredible." Um, and it's now like for you, it's like, okay, cool. You should be on that roller coaster. And it's great you signed with Gersh, and it's time to fly for you now because you've massively achieved huge, you know, success. I believe with your films, they're just really brilliant really brilliant so well oh, thanks man i appreciate it i think um i definitely think that it goes back to kind of what we were talking about before is like no one around me ever really has said you shouldn't be getting these sort of budgets i think the thing that i am is i'm impatient and i i, I like for my whole career i've made a film a year like before post, Easy, a film yeah, a year. post um <laughs> pre-lockdown or whatever i did i did three features in 10 months you know i did justine then i went into a movie called god's pet and you and then i did the kindred and it was it was hard, but I kind of loved it. And I thought all I've got to do really is kind of not say yes straight away to the, if someone goes, I know I can make the movie for 50,000, but I know I should be waiting to get more. And it's that thing that I'm constantly fighting with, with like, you know, like the Duplass Bros or whatever. Do you go, oh, I just want to, I just want to do it now though. Like I could do it. I could start shooting next month. When if you sit on it and you try and get a bit more money and you package it up and, you know, you, you start thinking about your casting and pre-sales and all of that stuff. Then, but it, it is the tricky thing is always what do I do in those gaps in the middle? You know, where I've made three films a year. Well, you have another project on the on, on ready on on the go. Yeah, but, but then but, I mean, but then but then doesn't it take you away from like Jamie's saying? He's like, well, actually, it's better if potentially if I'm making a movie because then I'm making a movie. Whereas if I'm sat waiting, I have to go work as a train driver or as a yeah, mop yeah, head yeah. cleaner or whatever, yeah. you know, and you're actually going, well, if <laughs> I'm keep... attendant. Yeah, yeah, it's like a camel's head cleaner. <laughs> um, but you've got to keep progressing and you are, it's a really tricky balance where you are now, isn't it? It's, it's, uh, it's really frustrating for most filmmakers, I think, yeah. when you get to that stage. I, but, you know, I consider myself, no, I consider myself very lucky. You know, I make a career through filmmaking, which... Yeah, I mean, where, even when I told my dad I wanted to do that, you know, he was like, "What? That you can make a job?" Like, because he knew Steven Spielberg and Martin Scorsese, and didn't know. And, knew you know yeah, he knew him. Um, <laughs> and he, so he was like, and my parents are the most supportive parents in the world. But it was also that you know, my dad's been a carpet fitter since he was sixteen, and kind of never. You want to be? Oh, oh that's where I knew Steven yeah, Spielberg he did his from. Floor. Yeah, uh, yeah, my dad yeah. did actually do Lawrence Olivier's floor, so that's pretty cool. 
Uh, that is and cool. he said he was lovely <laughs> he made everyone a cup of tea and everything he was, he was a top fella um so yeah i just I, I consider myself very lucky to be making movies and i have a lot that's going on here and in america and i'm, I'm sure one of them will go and yeah if it gets to the point where i don't make anything for so long and i'm like i need to i also have a backup of like scripts i could actually probably make for a lot less if i wanted to but you know that i think of a commercial and that wouldn't be maybe that would be doable for 50,000 without putting a lot of stress on each other because, you know, I didn't obviously didn't make a movie last year. Um, I'm trying to set something up for September this year, but I think as well as direct, like you said, we want to make stuff like you said, mm, you want to stay sharp and I would rather you learn yeah, more making. I'm shit. happy to, to develop stuff slower and all of that stuff, but it, it will get to a point where I'm like, I just got to make a movie. I got to make a little movie that I can do for me and, 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 and get that out there. Yeah. I I think it's I think I think it's really tricky as well because um you know I I come across a lot of filmmakers that um you know they're like okay I'm doing my first feature how much is the budget oh I think a million or two and you know maybe they've done a couple of shorts they've they've done nowhere near as much um a, a, as you have and you know I, I think there's a couple of filmmakers out there that you know I know a few that have gone and done that and they're the kind of person that will get that made through miracles uh, you know and and certain things. But I think it's a tricky a tricky balance when you know when you're making your first feature or, or sort of trying to get into that you know that area to aim for that kind of budget sometimes. Mm. How do you find the money then? Because you say, oh, I might have something I can just make for fifty k or whatever, somewhere around that price, maybe lower. How do you find in all your films? How have you managed to find the money? I mean, like you say, your friends gave you the three grand and family for for your second feature, if you like. How? How do you do it now? What, what's your process? So most of our stuff is done through, yeah, it's, it's private investment. Um, so private investors is kind of how, and this is kind of, I guess, something we haven't talked about loads, but like I've always been taught, I put myself out there. So I don't necessarily like networking that much, but any opportunity I get to be in a room with new people, I will try and take it. Um, you know, and my, my films have, I think we've raised, like we've raised 800, six seven eight hundred thousand across the board maybe a bit less for all of the films and some of them have been really easy some of, i remember when i did this movie called court um that was a weird one because i'd had a meeting with the producer of it a guy called alex francis who he'd exec produced moon uh and uh what was the james mcavoy uh irvin welsh movie uh, uh it? Filth. yeah he produced yeah. that as well. And I was a big fan of Moon. So I just, I, I reached out to him. He lived in Lewis. He lives in Lewis. And I was like, I want to go for a coffee with him. Went for a coffee with him. He was doing this movie Court. They had uh, a bigger director on board with it. And I remember as I left, I was just like, hey, if you lose that director, I'll do it. Um, and about, <laughs> yeah, courted him. three months later, they <laughs> lost their director. I came in, did it. And that was a really simple one because it, it was financed by... Um, American financing, uh, Robbie Helmy Jr., his dad, who has the Hallmark Channel, just financed it. And that just happened because I put my, I'd done it, I'd met someone. I'd You've done the exactly. networking, right? Um, okay. Before, cool. you know, Justine was like, I think we had 10 private investors um, who all put in a certain amount. And, they, you know, the, the deal is they get their money back first and then a little bit on top of that. Um, and, you know, if, if you spread it, you know, I think if I do a movie for, 50,000 I would rather be into 10 people for 5,000 than one person for 50,000 because most likely those people putting five grand into the movie it's not that type of it's not that lump of some money where it's going to ruin mm. their lives or it's going to no like, it's just for fun yeah if we lose it we lose exactly. it Look, it's five grand they're excited to be and producing, we can put a name to yeah, a producing film, film comes yes. to the premiere all of that so 
That's, that's barely a trip to exactly. LA. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I've also done crowdfunding. I've done that a few times. I, I feel, I feel like it's okay. certainly for me, it's something I can't do for a while now. I've done it two or three times. And I think each time it's got progressively a little bit worse. And I think... What's the most you think you've raised on crowdfunding? I, I think there is definitely a limit you can get yeah, from, from your network. I, th- I think we did 11 grand, maybe. That's um, quite a lot, yeah. We const- Yeah, uh, we, and we did... I think we did for Fractured. I think we got seven, seven and a half, maybe. Um but it's just tough because everyone's doing it, um, and it's just- and it's a full time job when you're doing it. So it's like, oh my god, and it, it can be painful. It can be hard. Like I say, you can only do it so many times where people go, yeah, all right, I, I did your last one, and yeah, I didn't hear from you. So, well, in your case, they will have, and you know, you've got some great stuff to show for it, which is incredible. Have you never had anything from like the BFI never. from? funding body this blows my fucking mind why someone like yourself who's making movies that are absolutely perfect for their system their scheme you should be on their radar this is god's own country stuff and how are you not getting funding from funding bodies blows my mind it, it, for me this is why the british cinema industry is fucked at the moment because well, they, 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 they should they be supporting you yeah they're not really here to you know to help people that are like passionate people that have the ability to make good films. They're Are they of... not? <laughs> I mean, surely that is why they're here. I mean, I know there's many reasons, all the tax, but all this kind of stuff that's going into it. But at the same time, there's a big loop and jumps you've got to go through to get them to like you and want your films. Yeah. Have you applied? We we have applied. We've applied numerous times for uh, for different different grants, lottery funding, BFI funding. Um, I want to get someone on and ask them why the fuck you wouldn't even look. Have you actually been in meetings? No, never been in a meeting. Yeah, exactly. We've that's, never that's even what got I mean. past. And we've always we've always had projects as well that are very that tick all the boxes. You know, we yeah, you know of course I mean? you have. Um, look, they tick the boxes. Your movies tick the boxes of what they're looking for in these movies. LGBT friendly. You know, this is you're ticking the boxes. And a guy's made movies for little money needs help is perfect for them and yet you don't even get through the door i, I honestly i don't understand it i find that disgusting i don't get yeah. how we're it, not it, supporting it, it, our i filmmakers. think what i always found really i mean certainly with tut tuts bfi love tucks you know we played flair we premiered that like there was a lot of support from bfi and then it just sort of nothing came from it but i i know the thing that always annoys me is when you see movies which are made by established and i mean people like and i love ben wheatley I love Shane Meadows. I love Ken Lowe. All of these, they're incredible filmmakers. But I don't necessarily feel like they need funding. I feel like they're in positions where... They could get funding from investors. Yeah, and they get get awards like first-time filmmaker and, and like, you know, rising star. And it's like, hang on, they've already risen. They're they're up fucking next to the North Star. Like, they're they're doing it. Like, they've had big budgets. They could go and finance this themselves without the BFI. It seems to be like the idea is that they get people that, you know, could do it without them. And then they're like, well, you know, maybe now you don't want us. We'll, we'll give you the money. <laughs> well, there's an, in, there's an interesting documentary about it called Who Killed British Cinema? It's on Amazon, which is free now on Amazon Prime. And it's really interesting about how it, how they feel it works. And, it, it, you know, there's, there's a lot that's going into this and why funding bodies aren't giving it to certain people, especially like yourself, which to me, honestly, I, I don't get it. Anyway, look, <laughs> let's let's talk about Justine because it's such a delightful wonderful movie brilliantly well made you know how many days did you shoot for you didn't shoot for many days uh, did you on this one yeah i did it in 10 days 10 yeah. days okay that's pretty impressive and your budget again you said it was around 15k uh, right? it was around what do we do it was around 50 55 or something like that 55 yeah. right 
again massively impressive you know look what you've achieved on this it's a gorgeous looking movie um your cinematographer on this one's paul o'callaghan um you know when do you when you're sort of coming up with an idea like this you know and, you, and the movie before tucked well before before there's so many movies you've done but in terms of you know it's the lgbt strand is that the brighton-esque side of you wanting to push that angle where do these stories come from for um, you? well i mean tucked was different tucked was like um every character in tucked is kind of a version of someone i've met in brighton at some point in my life um and it was you know that was inspired by nights out people i've met and and kind of the, the city i love and uh and adore i think when justine came so jeff murphy who wrote justine kind of he it came to he was like a, he'd won a bafta and he did a tv show called hidden um which i think has just gone in for a new series and hinterland and was kind of it kind of came to me that script quite sort of last minute. It all happened very quickly. I'd done touch and stuff and that script came in and I really liked the, the character of Justine. I thought it was an interesting character. I thought it was, I was, I remember when I was reading it, I was fully expecting at some point it was going to get like, Oh, okay. Well, something really bad happened to her in her childhood and she came from the, a bad neighborhood. And, so, and then it was like, Oh, actually, no, that wasn't, that wasn't the story. That's not this movie. That's not this character. And I found that quite interesting. Um, and, you know, at, at, its, at the heart of that movie, it's a love story, which is, you know, I think there's, there's themes of that in every movie I've ever done. So that really connected with me. Um, it was, you know, I met this weird thing of like, there's, there's certain, uh, it, it's directing someone else's material is always a little bit different. I've done it a few times now. Um, because you never know, you kind of want to put your, your, your twist on it, your edge on it, but then you're like, oh, I, but also, you know, this is written by a, a BAFTA winner and this is that. And it's like, oh, what do I, do I know enough about? I remember with that, my key thing was I didn't want to do too much work on the script, but it was really important that we workshopped it with Tallulah and Sophie, who were the two leads, because it also just felt like this doesn't need another male voice opinion in this one. You know what I mean? It was like, what do I necessarily, what do I have to add to it? Whereas I think, you know, what Tallulah and Sophie brought to it by, by workshopping and really getting involved in those scenes, like I think the script became just a little bit and certainly the characters you know we just we just understood the film we we all wanted to make together a little bit more well just to to give our audience a little bit about what it's about and then i'll drop the trailer in uh, it's a love story set against a backdrop in brighton uh and tracked by a violent and puzzling tale of a young woman's descent into self-destruction she meets rachel and love takes over at uh, first it heals but justine's pain goes deep do you ever think about dying everyone thinks about dying it's attractive it's attractive about dying just not feeling anything. So what do you want to do? <laughs> Justine. Rachel. Tell me something about you. Something I don't know. The past can be a terrible thing. I don't particularly want one. The best thing you can do is just keep your nose out of it, yeah? Hello? Justine? Okay, Doc. You have to stop drinking. When I drink, I feel safe. I can make you feel safe. <laughs> What's the point of all this? We'll end in tears. Oi. 
honestly, it's it's just a, it's a, it's a so well made movie. Um, yeah, you see, so you you you're talking there about you know developing it and making it work. Obviously, you know the area, you know how you can do it. Was the money in place already at this yeah. point? Or? So we we money was in place. We'd planned to shoot three movies back to back, all for similar budget, and then kind of that kind of fell through. So we ended up just kind of doing the one and seeing how it was going to work, and then. Post-production on this took a lot longer than we thought. Then we were supposed to premiere at BFI Flare, and then we went into lockdown. We had a 750-seater sold out at BFI South Bank, which oh, would have been amazing. Um, it would have been amazing. So, yeah. And we the whole time we're going, we need a festival run. We need a festival run. And obviously had zero festival run with the movie. Um, so it, we've, we always felt a little bit up against it with it. when so The shoot was easy. It, I mean, we sent it at 21 locations in 10 days and stuff. It should have been hard. But it wasn't. It, it felt like a. It was quite a smooth shoot. It was just when we went into post with it, just one or two things started happening where you're like, "Okay, that's a bit tricky." Okay, now we need to get over that. Oh, now we need to sort this, and now there's a rights thing, and all of this stuff, which all got sorted, but all took time and and money as well. Um, so, but yeah, you know, now it's kind of we're in this position where Curzon picked it up and, and took it on an exclusive, and we just. We're so happy to finally get the movie out there. I think that's the, you know what it's like when it's just gone, this has been like two and a bit years. Um, just like, and it really it's been finished for a year and a bit, but it's just trying to find someone to partner up with it. And also, let's be honest, it's not been the easiest sell in the last year. You know, it's quite a, a heavy drama um, where, you know, people certainly for a while weren't necessarily, didn't want to sit at home and watch quite a heavy movie about, you know, an alcoholic depressed love story type movie how do you how do you balance that in, in the writing stage because uh, i mean especially at, at the start of the the movie you, you know you lay on quite heavily with the you know the main character um you know a lot of the sort of troubles and her her lifestyle um you know how do you sort of balance that with you know the seriousness versus the kind of the warmth of building of the love story well so so jeff i remember jeff because this was a, a script that was written years ago i, I want to say 2012 might have even been before then um and it was loads of research had gone into it and it had been with other production companies and other people way before it came to me so it kind of gone through this development process already when i got it it was a bit similar to when i did tucked like tucked touches on a lot of um really important themes to me uh, about sexuality about um you know toxic masculinity about age uh, you know all of these stereotypes all of these things but it never it it starts the conversation it doesn't finish it you know, it's not me going, hey, this is what I think about this, this and this. Um, and with with Justine, what I thought was similar about it was was like, it was a love story. It is a love story, but it is just it's rooted in this kind of, you know, this this world of, you know, Justine is angry. She's angry at the world she lives in. But it isn't, you know, it's not a story of an alcoholic, if that may. It's someone who's kind of rebelling against life, rebelling against the world and is essentially lost. Um, and, you know, all of these reasons add up to why she, you know, the the breakdown of the relationship with her family, you know, uh, we ne- you know, what happened to her dad, you know, kind of the drinking, like what happened at school, you know, always felt like a bit of an outsider. Um, but it's not a movie about an alcoholic. It's a, bo- a movie about these two people falling in love. Um, and I think what we wanted to do, what was clear with it is there isn't that many lighthearted moments in the movie. But um, what the there is these subtle little looks, these subtle little, you know, just a stroke of the finger. The sex scene, for instance, is my, one of my favorite scenes. I'm very proud of that, of everything I've shot, because what I think it does is it's realistic. You know, for me, this, 
the sex wasn't the interesting bit. It was everything that happens before. It's the first kiss. It's the clothes coming mm-hmm. up. It's the, the looks, the, looks, mm-hmm. the awkwardness, mm-hmm. the quietness. Um, it was very sensitive. Yeah, yeah. All, the trousers, you know, trousers don't just glide off, you know. No, It they doesn't don't. happen. <laughs> yeah. um, it's really clunky. And I think that's what I like. And I think the, the movie, and this might sound weird, it's got this kind of clunky, rough around the edges feel to it because that's what life is. That's what love is. You know, it isn't this glossy, beautiful Netflix sheen where everything's perfect. And, you know, in the sex scene, the penis just slides beautifully into the vagina. There's no condom. <laughs> Everyone comes. It's wonderful. And you're like, that's just not, that's not life. That's not real. Um, and I think this is where this movie kind of works. And I think, um, I remember someone asked me about, um, they were like, it's quite a, it's, it's, it's quite a sad movie in parts. And I was like, well, yeah, it is. But I don't think that's a bad thing because in all, like, how do we know what happiness feels like if you're never sad? You know, it's this idea of like, yes, it is sad, but hopefully it gets happy and there's, there's hope in it. You know, you've got a, the, the feeling of happiness doesn't exist without the feeling of sadness. And I think so many movies just, they focus on the happy, happy, happy. And then normally something happens. Oh, she says something, gets overheard and shit hits the fan. And then it all gets, it, it all ties up nice, like neatly in a bow. You know, I, I don't necessarily want to always do that with, with my movies. And I think when you work at this budget, range as well you have that little bit more creative freedom to leave it maybe a little bit more open than had we have done it for a million with netflix or whatever yeah yeah i love that what about when you're directing in those situations and getting your actors to certain place because like i say your actors have to go really deep place not only casting the right people but also what what do you do you know and tucked is the same justine's the same to get in the mindset what's your process how do you talk to the actors what's the best way you find to talk to actors so i mean i've always said that i think the main job of a director is like casting i feel like if you cast something right you shouldn't have to go in and be like note after note after note after note because once you've given that role you've cast that role. that's their character it's, it's like you've entrusted them to do it. So I've always think, you know, casting is something I take obviously very seriously. You know, when I was starting out, I used to put a lot of friends and stuff in stuff. You know, you do that when you're starting out, but you know, it, it's so crucial to make sure you cast every part. And also like, even if there's two lines in a film or three lines, in, someone can come in and butcher three lines and ruin a whole movie. Like, it's so true, it, isn't it? It takes you yeah, out of you it. just put someone in because they're a mate. Yeah, you it, go, It really does. You're like, oh, yeah. that was shit. And then you become aware you're watching a film and then it's you've lost the audience and then you've got to work to get them back. And that's just the damage of two lines. If you cast one of the leads wrong, that, that, whole, that film's never working. Um, and I'm not, you know, I'm never, I'm not a particularly technical director. You know, I do stick men for my uh, storyboards. Um, I know the whole film kind of in my head before I'm there. My thing has always been that it's about creating an environment on set where everyone feels safe, everyone feels happy, um, supported to do the best work possible. Because I, I can't do it. I, I can't do it on my own. When I try and do it on my own, swimming in circles happens. Like when, you know, I can't operate a camera, I can't do sound, I can't do makeup, I can't do, like it's a team effort. Um, and it's very important for me that everyone is on the same level. There is no sort of hierarchy really. We're all in this together, especially like I say, when, you know, it's a crew of like, 12 or 14 people like we work very closely together so it's I think it's about they're there because I think they're the best person for the job they know that uh, and it's just about us all supporting each other to do the best job possible so that's kind of that's always been my approach for it. I've been on some te- uh, some sets before where it's a little there's a, there's a bad atmosphere on a set can kill it yeah. Like it just kills them. All, all it takes is one person that's got a bit of a shitty attitude or doesn't want to be there or they don't feel like they're being paid enough 
Um, and it's like you know, just don't take the job if you know, if you know the deal. Just don't yeah, take don't the job. do it. Don't be it. Don't, don't complain guy. about right. it. Yeah, we don't want people complaining. Um, amazing. What did, was there anything you learned on this? I'm making Justine that you you take forward. I mean, it's, you've made so many. I mean, I imagine, and like you say, it was a, a year or so ago when you made it. And now looking for your next one, hopefully very soon in September. What's what are you gonna bring from all the films you've learned so far? What's well, a nice bit of tip for someone I mean, moving forward? What was great about Justine is we we used a lot of natural light on it, so we we didn't spend ages. I mean, you you guys know lighting kills your schedule. You know, it just it and it's you know to match it, you you move one little thing, it's it's a nightmare. Um, so what was great about Justine was that freedom we kind of had of it's just like just stick that lamp on we'll put one little light up or so. And it kind of, it worked for the look of that film um, and the, the feel of that film. So I think, you know, you're always, I always take stuff going into, you know, like scheduling things of, you know, I shouldn't have scheduled all of this in one day. Next time on the next one, we'll try and really look at that schedule. But then you get to a point where you're just like, well, this actor's only free on this day and this, uh, we can only do it this way. Um, so I think, you know, going into, I think I just take a, it's combined of everything I've ever learned on a, on a film. You know, I, I want to have a great um, food table craft. Yeah. You know, you, know, you want to have good biscuits, craft, craft services. services. Yeah. I'm, I'm there with you there. Things yeah. like that. Yeah, it definitely. sounds like really like simple, but like having good snacks. Good, nah, we, it's so important. Everyone, like, yeah. everyone who's going to work on the film, whatever we do, we email them you know, privately and say like, what's your favorite snacks? What, what's your, what's going to give you a little pick? Ooh, yeah. Something like that. Make sure you bring yeah, them. Yeah. Cause we haven't got the money. <laughs> yeah. So. We ain't got yeah. none for you. <laughs> Cause there was, I remember there was our, our, Paul, our DP for the, the first couple of movies we did together. He used to sneak off into his van where he had this like really expensive dark chocolate, like fancy shit that he knew he couldn't ask for because it was like four quid a bar or something. And he used to just go <laughs> yeah. over there and come back and he'd be, oh, what are you doing? He says, I've got a bit of chocolate. And then he'd tell one person, and he'd tell another person. And, and then all of a sudden yeah, everyone's yeah. eating his chocolate. So now it's like, well, okay, we've done a lot of movies together. So now we get him his chocolate. But I think, you know, little That's touches nice, like yeah. that, they, they do go a long way on a, on a film set. You know, I love, I love Pop-Tarts. Like Pop-Tarts are my thing. Like, it's just that sugar hit. And I, I never really eat them at home, but like for some reason, get me on a set. Oh, I love a Pop-Tart. Yeah. You've got, I think it's, you find your little home comforts on set that you don't have at home. You have your little set thing, whether it's a coffee in first thing when you might not do that, or it's a, a biscuit at a certain time when you wouldn't do that. But if Or slippers on your one. I had slippers because we were in a house and a freezing cold floor. <laughs> there I were some, some very fancy slippers actually. Yeah, there well. were some fancy. Everyone knew to bring slippers because it was cold as it got told. So we all had slippers. Um, but I'd love it if they were branded. Imagine that you get, you're on a film so big that they give you that's branded the, that's slippers. That's the dream. <laughs> That's, that's the dream. dream, mate. That is the dream. That's when we all will know we've made it. It will. It will. Um, this, Jamie, this has been amazing. We could talk forever and I can't wait to get you back on because obviously making The Kindred, uh, which was Stephen Tracy Isles, one of the producers on it, which is fantastic. And maybe when that comes out, it'd be great to get you back on to talk about that. It'd be really, really cool. Um, but Justine, Justine is out now on um, Curzon Home Cinema. Please go support. And if the BFI are listening... You should be ashamed of yourself <laughs> for not speaking to Jamie. Yeah, I mean yeah. that. Yeah, I actually why do you, why do you mean hate Jamie that. Yeah, so what much? is it? Exactly. What's your beef, BFI? Why don't you like us, BFI? Yeah. Totally. It's not just BFI, but any funding body like yeah, that. You yeah, should yeah. be looking at filmmakers like this. I totally agree. So if you are listening, take fucking note. Um, uh, Jamie, thank you so much. Honestly, your time's been incredible. What a legend. Your story's been It's been, been incredibly fun. Really fun, really fun. What, where can people find you on the socials so they can bombard you with stories I mean, of LA? Yeah, I, what am I? Uh, J underscore Patterson 86. 
I think is my Twitter. Yeah, you were born. You go. Let me that's guess. right. Uh, that's the old Twitter. <laughs> and you can change it now. But yeah, I don't know. What if I, you I, want. I'm, I'm not very good with the old social. I go through. I don't know. I go through periods of if I've got something coming out, I'm great. I'm on it. It's the it's the time in between. I'm like, do people really want to see my lunch, or do they really want to see what like? No, but what you can do is tweet. What's good about this, and it's so important because the problem is if you only just do it when your film's coming out, people you get dropped off everyone's lists. So yeah, see, got, I, I keep them hooked with memes, and it, 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 yeah, it keeps them happy. Like memes, memes, memes. <laughs> memes. No, yeah, from memes. now on they're going to be so called memes. I love that. <laughs> yeah, from now on I'm going to be just putting all under right, blue yeah. memes up everywhere. <laughs> Get, no. But what but what you can do is just even if you just retweet or like someone else's or comment, that looks cool. It, it just keeps you in the loop. I know it's hard, it's not easy, but it's it is actually important when you need to sell not sell or tell oh, someone about your projects. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it's yeah it is important to have. So you on you're on yeah, Twitter. On Twitter on Instagram. Uh, J underscore Patson eighty six and the same on Instagram. Brilliant. I'll put little links to that in the show notes. Links to I'll try and put as many films as I can. Actually, Jamie, if you send me those links, then I can do much easier than me trying to find all of them. them. Every single every one. single uh, sixteen films. I want links to all of them, or just whichever ones you want to show us. That'd be amazing. Um, this has been absolutely brilliant. Uh, I'm Giles Olson. You can find me at Giles Olson on all the socials. The Filmmakers Pod at Filmmakers Pod. Dom yourself. I am Dom Lenoir. You can find me at Director Dom Lenoir on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook as well. Amazing. Listen, if you've not learnt from Jamie today from and he's not inspired you, then what are you doing? Go out there and make your film just as Jamie has done. And if you're lucky enough to rise up and do well, it is your duty to send the elevator back down. I am going to go call Orlando Bloom's mum uh, and borrow her mop and maybe play some hockey with it. So, <laughs> happy days. <laughs> until next Tuesday Jamie thank you so much thank you so much Dom take care you too uh, go and watch Justine everyone see you later bye 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 <laughs>